back when we were struggling to think, one of the things I admired most about Al Timi was he was so focused on communicating with vendors and customers where we were at. He was open and honest about it, didn't try to shy away from it. Welcome to Mitten Money, delivering insights from Michigan-based business leaders, big and small. William Zank, host of Mitten Money at TriStar Trust, loves nothing more than creating this masterclass so that you can get insight to guide your leadership journey in just under 30 minutes. Subscribe today and connect with William at mittenmoney.com. So Beth, thank you for being here this morning. Do you mind giving a little overview about yourself and Amigo? I think the story behind your company is so interesting from its rich history to the deep roots that you guys have in Michigan. My husband has had two major careers and Al Timi was first a plumbing and heating contractor and he loved that business. But then when a member of his family was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, he looked for something that would make her independent and active and would be fun to use. And he couldn't find anything outside of really the traditional wheelchairs that were available at the time. So in 1967, he built in his garage, tinkering nights and weekends, this little three-wheeled vehicle, and they named it Amigo. And in 1968, he started the company and we have been providing mobility equipment ever since then. I joined Amigo in 1975 and we were building Amigo. So I worked in purchasing and we were building Amigos in his two-car garage across the street from where we are now. And a vendor would say, can I see your assembly plant? And we'd run across four lanes of the Dixie Highway and up to the garage and very proudly open that door to show our production. That's just so special. And I think it speaks to a little bit about the American spirit too, and just your husband's perseverance to come up with a solution to where there is obviously product demand, not only for that loved one, but then possibly for other people too. Because I could imagine that just at that exact point, there weren't too many other possible solutions out there. So with Migo being in business now for over 50 years, I can see how your company has been through so many tough operating environments. In your experience, has it been better for leaders to be more proactive or reactive during those times? So I think you have to be a little bit of both, but to me, it's less painful to be proactive because we've learned the hard way. But when you're proactive, you start to think of the what ifs and the risks and the opportunities. And if you can plan for that, I think that is so helpful to the business. 25 to 30 years ago, our business was climbing rapidly. Our sales were growing 40, 50% a year in the healthcare market. People wanted an Amigo. And when that growth is occurring at that kind of rate, you feel like it's a gold mine and it's never going to change. And really because of insurance and some Medicare challenges, the whole industry changed. And we almost lost the business because we stayed way too long doing the same kind of thing. So it was a lesson, a need to be proactive, look ahead, what else could you do? What else are you good at? And it really changed the focus of our business and the direction of our business when we did that. Sure. That makes great sense. And just as a question, Beth, tailing off of what you just mentioned, when you were going through those rapid areas of expansion, how did you go about divvying up trying to figure out, do I dive further in sales? Do I dive further into the revenue side of the business? Or 
would I rather allocate money towards the operational side or the manufacturing side to help keep up with the rapid demand? Because obviously you'd hope for a business to grow 40 and 50% per year, but you know that at some point that might start to slow down a little bit. There are lessons to the past that you look back on it. And there were times when we felt the best approach and maybe the first approach is cut your expenses. Really look at how lean you can operate that company. And to a certain extent, you need to do that. But in one of our darkest times, I remember Al and I talking and saying, every day we have to sell product. And we really kind of flipped that thinking to every day, come in, how can we impact today's sales and put energy into contacting more people, more outlets. And I really think you can't ignore cutting some costs, but I really think if the focus is on selling, that's your best way out of a mess. I appreciate you touching on that. And so I think this next topic ties in a little bit more to that, but how should companies approach the topics of research and development and hiring during those tough times to your last statement, you want to be looking at expenses, but then there's also trying to plan for the future. There's no exact formula or equation for this. And so it seems natural that you might want to go cut costs and save money, but you could also be possibly limiting future growth. So one piece of advice that I have is hook yourself to a star, which I think is an entrepreneur. I think entrepreneurs have an ability and a vision that the rest of us don't have. And any company that can have an entrepreneur in it or a visionary in it has an advantage. You have to, as a company, prioritize where the biggest impact of your investment is. And sometimes you have to say, yes, I'm going to go borrow money or we're going to take more money out of our personal savings and we're going to invest in this business in the R&D side. We stayed too long with that same product in healthcare, as I mentioned before, and that was a tough lesson. So what we did was you really have to study what are we good at? We always said we're good at healthcare. It's bigger than that. What we're really good at was batteries, motors, chargers, wheels, and controllers. Then we said, how can we use those five key components to build other products for other markets? And it kind of opened up a huge opportunity for us. And that is what we've been focusing on the last 10 years. And so it's launched us into industrial markets. It's launched us into aviation. And it's launched us into the grocery market. Regarding customer relations, in what ways do you try and connect with your end clients during those rough, possible, turbulent times? In one way, you want to always be proactive, but you could also understand that they could be also facing the same cost pressures or revenue pressures that you're also facing. And so do you try and share a specific message with them? Or I guess, what do you think in regards to those things? So I think back when we were struggling, one of the things I admired most about Al Timi was he was so focused on communicating with vendors and customers where we were at. He was open and honest about it, didn't try to shy away from it. He would talk to vendors and say, are we paying you timely? And are we doing okay from your perspective? And I always admired that. And I think over the years when we did go through tough times, those vendors helped us. They sometimes extended our credit with them and gave us more time to pay our bills and discounted bills at times. I think it was all stemming from that open, honest communication and not dodging that issue. To me, that was big. Today, we're high relationship 
company. We build relationships with our customers in every market. We do that through newsletters, visit, personal visits, but also just that constant flow of communication saying, number one, how can we help you? How can we solve your problems? Let's partner together and work this and make the companies, both companies better. From day one, Al has always felt that service is important because when we started in healthcare, it was people's legs. So we had to respond to service requests and find a way to handle service and repairs. That grew to where we're processing between 45 and 60,000 work orders a year. Oh, wow. That insight into service really helps us build better products. And I think for a lot of retailers, we're handling service and it's just built that relationship even stronger. We're not just selling and moving on. We're servicing that for many years. So just as a follow-up question, regarding the process of the work orders and getting everything filtered in, obviously 45 to 60,000 work orders, that's a lot of work orders you're getting daily and weekly or possibly over the holiday time too. How did you go about building those systems out? Because I can imagine if it's one or two work orders, it's okay. So you email this person, they can get everything taken care of. But when you start to get into the thousands of work orders, how do you go about managing all that? So our service business has really grown and escalated over the last 10 years. And I have to say that through technology, we've been able to accomplish it because all these work orders, most of them, 99.5% probably come in electronically. They're acknowledged electronically. They're dispatched electronically. And then we just have to follow up and make sure parts are sent and that type of thing and work orders are closed out. It would have been very hard to scale in the early days to that size, but I think that it grew with us and we have the systems in place. There is one other fun piece of our business. Al Timmy back in 2008 had what I thought was a crazy idea and what we now label was genius. He said, what happens to all these motorized shopping carts at end of life? And we knew how many we were shipping out every week. So what happens? They were being thrown into landfills. So he came up with the idea, why don't we get them back? And I said to him, no, 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 we're in the new business. I don't want all these dirty old carts back. What are we going to do with them? Well, fortunately, he went ahead with this. And our team thinks it's one of the great ideas in the history of our business We started a recycling center. We get six to 7,000 carts back a year. We harvest the good parts of them because maybe six months before they were ready to be gotten rid of, a new controller, a new charger, a new seat was put on. We harvest all those good parts, clean them, check them, test them, and we sell them on the recertified service market. So like one of our retailers say $1.4 million in a year buying recertified parts. So if you have a cart that's five years old, why put a brand new part on it? And so it really has been wonderful. And we also get our competitors' carts back. We'll sell their parts on the certified. They can get them from us. It's just been a great environmental initiative in our business. Yeah, not only from an environmental perspective too, but in a way that's thinking outside the box, typically from what other people might think about. But then you're also adding additional revenue for your company, saving costs your end consumers. So I mean, that's the perfect loop where you want to go have in customer relations. And our environment's precious. <laughs> and I think we're getting that message that we all need to participate in creating a healthier environment. And we live in too much of a throwaway society. So it was brilliant and we're grateful. 
sure that all makes great sense. And so I also noticed, Beth, in doing research for the podcast that your company is a market share leader for many of the nation's largest grocery stores. And so in what ways did you go about building and then also maintaining this? Because it's one thing to build up a big lead or be a big market share leader in all these different categories, but then also there's the whole point about maintaining that so it doesn't get eroded away by possible other new entrants. So we sold the first motorized shopping cart back in 1970. And we always sold some over the years, but it wasn't until 2004 that we felt, let's really go after this market. And we probably at that time had 20% market share in the US. Today, we have over 80% market share in the US. And we have almost every major retailer in the country using Amigo Shoppers. And I think that our approach has been very individualized with each retailer. And we meet with them and what are their challenges? And that has led us to develop accessories and products to meet their needs. For example, we have shoppers that have anti-theft devices because believe it or not, people ride off on these carts and take them home or wherever they want to go with them. And we have smart sensors, which is a collision avoidance sensor. We're working on some new projects that will monitor battery life from a remote distance. We'll be able to track carts where if they are stolen, we can track them to where they're being taken. So all of that has come through from identifying what are the retailer's challenges and then finding a way to meet those needs. That's perfect. And so if you were to go sum up all the useful business tips you've learned over the years, what would you say has been the most useful tip that you learned working at Amigo? I would say it's a cartoon I saw many years ago. And it's this guy happily strolling across an arched bridge. And on the top, it was very smooth. And so this person's walking across the bridge feeling very confident. The side view of the bridge is pebbles and stones are starting to fall. And so underneath, it can be caving and you may not realize it. So what it told me was pay attention to the details of your business. Don't spend all your time on it, but have the controls in place that you know the structure and the foundation is there to weather the storms. That was very impactful. I appreciate that. And so these next couple of questions are some of the most fun questions that I get to ask our guests. And so Beth, what would you say is your most important daily habit? For me personally, it's to walk around the entire company once a day. I go around to every area and I call people by name. We have 130 people here. And I think it's important to recognize each person and make them feel like they are an important part of this journey that we're on and thank them for their contribution. That's amazing. And so what would you say is your favorite TV or streaming show that you're currently watching or have recently? I'm not a good TV watcher. I like it to mentally get a break once in a while, but I can't say there's one show I follow all the time. I'm more of a doer than a sitter, I think. So I just haven't found... There's series like The Crown that are great, but it's more special shows than it is the routine shows. That's special. And so if you could be remembered for just one thing, what would it be? I would like to think that I was a great leader, but more importantly, a great coach. I've never been an athlete. I'm really not very coordinated, but I think like a coach. When we bring in people to the company, new employees, I look at bench strength. 
Can I look at our team and say, we have backup players and we have the strongest players? And do they have the training and the skill sets to achieve what they want to achieve in their position and in the future? Do we work as a team? And are we driven to win? I look for that energy because we want to win more market share. We want to win in other markets. We want to win for our customers. And are we gracious competitors? Because that's important. I have good relationships with our competitors in the industry. We shake hands. We agree to compete heartily. And there are times that we help each other through some of the storms. And that's important to me. That's really interesting. And so Beth, for people who want to learn more about yourself or Amigo, what are some good resources for the listeners out there? So I invite people to visit our website, myamigo.com. You'll see the product line, the story, and some videos. And then I'm excited to say that in December, a two-year project of my husband and I has been to capture the Amigo story. So a book will be coming out. It's being published. It's titled, There Must Be a Better Way. Watch for that. That's really special. Definitely something to go ahead and look out for. And thank you again for listening to another episode of Mid Money. Please don't forget to follow our podcast so you don't miss when new episodes drop. Thanks, Beth. Thank you, William. You've been listening to Mitten Money, sponsored by TriStar Trust. Subscribe to the podcast and learn more about how William and the TriStar Trust team can guide your small business at tristartrust.com. <laughs>